All right, take your Bible, and we're going to pick it up today in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we are still talking about some distinctives of Elmira Baptist Church and uh, picking that topic. Um, as a reminder to those of you who've been here a long time, but also for those of you who are uh, newer among us, and uh, we do have a few copies. It's the same handout as last week. So if you have last week's handout, you don't need a new one. But uh, if you need a handout, um, I got a few right here. Matt, they're up here. And Matt also has a prayer sheet. So if you lift a hand, if you need one of those, same, same handout as last week. Or um, if you need a prayer sheet, and uh, Matt will get you one. And let me get to my... Let me get to my notes. Okay. Normally I have a really big lectern and I can spread things out. I'm working with a smaller lectern tonight because on Sunday the kids will be back up here and so we don't want to move things back and forth. So I might have to go back to my, my uh, sheaf of pages there. We started last week with number 10, which is all the way on the back side, very bottom there, which is we believe that these distinctives must be applied in love or it profits us nothing. We pray that the Lord would make us to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, which is a quote from 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. And we do want our church to be marked by a love for each other, obviously, a love for God, and even a love for our enemies, so that when folks come um, either to worship with us or if they are your neighbors, they're your co-workers, and they're antagonistic, we can still love them with the same love that God has for, for us uh, when we were uh, yet sinners. So that must be a, a distinctive that we, we work at because God's love flowing through us does not come naturally. We have to be yielded to the Spirit. We have to trust in His grace. Uh, otherwise, we, we tend to treat people pretty roughly, pretty selfishly. Let me go back to number one. I just want to review the first five with you, and then we're going to pick it up with number six, and we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians. We consider ourselves to be fundamentalists, although we prefer to use the word biblicists, which simply means we adhere to the fundamentals of the faith. I shared with you last week what those five were, and uh, if you missed that, just, just uh, find Sermon Audio, and you can listen to that again. Number two, we are an independent local church. That is, we are not bound in any fashion to any, any other authority than the Word of God. We don't have any um, convention or denomination or any other structure above us that can tell us what to do with our buildings or can tell us who the next pastor is going to be or can tell us who... Uh, the, the, the issue with many of these denominations today is there are churches that want to have homosexual marriages in their buildings and others churches that don't want to have homosexual marriages in their buildings and then denominations are saying, well, we're going to come down on this side or the other. Uh, I, I, I have no idea how you would function in that type of environment. But we don't have those denominational structures over us. Again, there's some weaknesses to that. That means that you as uh, members of the church need to be vigilant because there's nobody that's going to come in and say, hey, you guys are erring from the faith. It's, it's up to you guys to notice those things. Um, it also means we don't have a, a denomination or a convention to go to and say, hey, we're building a building. Can you help us with funds? We don't have that. Uh, but God's provided and, and we're grateful um, for the way he's provided. Uh, 
Number three, we believe that God instituted marriage as a relationship between one man and one woman for a lifetime. And we talked about the need for God's grace so that husbands can love their wives sacrificially and uh, wives can be submitted to their husbands. Um, then we're Baptists. We talked about seven distinctives of Baptists. Again, if you uh, missed that last week, let me encourage you to, to uh, grab a uh, uh, copy or listen to last week's a lesson on sermon audio. Number five, we are, we are evangelistic and believe that fulfilling the Great Commission is a primary goal of our church. We believe the best way to reach the lost is through the personal witness of each believer. I intend, I, I, I think you, I, I want you to be looking for opportunities to share the gospel with people every day, whether you're at the store, uh, in your neighborhood, at work, wherever, you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel. In addition to that, we do meet on Saturdays at 10 o'clock. We meet here in this room, and we go out, we knock doors, uh, people we don't know, meeting new people in an effort to share the gospel with them as well. And of course, we preach the gospel on Sundays. Um, particularly, we want to share that gospel, we want to get that gospel out there, proclaim that to the folks that come. That brings us to number six. I read it to you last week. I didn't really talk about it. That's what I want to pick up today. We believe that foreknowledge and election are not inconsistent with free agency, but are founded upon it. The elect were chosen to eternal life because God foresaw that in intended exercise of their freedom, they would repent and embrace the gospel. This view of the subject affords no ground for presumption on the one hand or for despair on the other. I'm going to pray and then we'll look at this one here. Father, thank you for bringing folks out tonight. They could be elsewhere. But they know it's important to be here for this Bible study, and they know it's important to take time to pray. And I'm so grateful that there's a number of people here tonight that will be serious and fervent in the prayers that they offer to you in a few moments, and we're thankful for that. We ask that when we come to that time of prayer that you'd lead us, that we would pray according to your will. During this time of Bible study, we want to study to show ourselves approved unto you, workmen that don't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So help us, Father. Help me to explain things clearly and help uh, us to listen to your word primarily. I pray that I would not get in the way of what your word says, but I, I would carry the message directly from your heart to the hearts of my sisters and my brothers. And I ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now this issue of uh, election... Sometimes uh, the term that people use is predestination, foreknowledge, predestination, election are all part of the same package. They don't all mean the same thing, but they're part of the same package. They can also be, often be very divisive. The first time that these came to my attention, I was in fifth grade, and the uh, church that my parents and I were attending uh, had a new man who was candidating to be pastor, and in addition to preaching, they had a session where people could ask him questions. And uh, some lady, I, I'm, I'm in fifth grade, I, I don't know any of these people. Some lady asked about, um, I don't remember what her question was, but she said, you are not a Calvinist. And I guess she wanted him to be a Calvinist. So I said to my dad later, well, you know, what's, what is this Calvinism thing? That was the first time I remember asking about it. Then I remember as a missionary, I had an opportunity to be uh, in a lot of churches. And this one particular church had, a, had a, a program or a process for selecting missionaries where the missionary would preach and he'd meet the church and then separately he'd meet with the deacons and the pastor. 
And the question that was asked was, are you a Calvinist or are you an Armenian? And I said, I, I, don't, I don't feel like those categories really I- include every Christian. For example, it would be like me asking you, are you pro-Ukraine or pro-Putin? Well, you don't have to be pro-Putin or pro-Ukraine. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things in the middle there that aren't pro-Ukraine or pro-Putin. And I, I like to use the word, as I said before, a biblicist. So the guy followed up. He said, well, then here's my question for you. You say you're a biblicist. If you don't go to Mongolia, remember I'm missionary on my way to Mongolia. If you don't go to Mongolia, will the people there be saved or not? I said, well, I can answer that question real easy. God's going to save the people of Mongolia without my help. <laughs> he doesn't need me to go to Mongolia to, to save people. But I want to be a part of what he's doing in Mongolia, so I'm going. And that still didn't satisfy me. He just shook his head. <laughs> you know, I think the, 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 the issue is we can focus completely on man's responsibility. And if we focus completely on man's responsibility, we can end up on one side. We can focus completely on God's sovereignty. If we focus completely on God's sovereignty, we can end up on the other side. Let me tell you three things that we all, I say we, Christians agree on. The first thing that we all agree on is that God is sovereign. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Just layman's, just don't give me a theological definition. Just when we say God is sovereign, what are we saying by that? Yes, Jessica. He does whatever he wants. I can't stop him. You can't stop him. If we all decided, okay, we're all going to, we're all going to get together and we're going to oppose God's plan. Could all of the human beings, 8 billion of us on planet earth, oppose God's plan? No. That's what Psalm 2 says. The kings of the earth, they set themselves against the Lord's anointed. And it says, he that sits in the heavens, and, and I, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not, don't, I'm not quoting scripture. God who sits in the heavens will laugh at them. He's not threatened. So that's what we mean with, by God is sovereign. At the same time that God is sovereign, we also believe, and all, all right-thinking Christians believe this, that even though God is sovereign, man is also accountable for what he does. Because you could say, well, if God's sovereign and I'm just fulfilling his plan anyway, why does God hold me personally accountable? Romans 9 talks about that, but I would like to show you Acts chapter 2. I said to go to 1 Thessalonians. We will get there, but let's go to Acts chapter 2 first. Acts chapter 2, God is sovereign. He does whatever he wants. And the Bible also teaches that man is accountable. I say man, humans, you know, man and women, men and women, children. They're accountable for the actions that they take, for their behavior. So Acts chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse 22. And this is Peter. He's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And to which ethnic group is he preaching? The Jews. Now these are Jews from all over the Middle East, uh, what is now Iraq and, and Egypt and, and uh, Turkey. All, all, currently those are the names of the areas, of, but they're all, from all these areas. But he's preaching to Jews and this is what he says in, ch- in um, chapter 2 verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. 
Now, I want you to notice two things from verse 23. Number one, that it was always God's plan for his son, Jesus Christ, to die. It says, again, by the God hath, excuse me, him being delivered by the determinate counsel. That was God's plan. Jesus did not die because God lost control. Or uh, some, some, some people who I don't think have thought clearly through this. Some Christians have not thought clearly say that Jesus had plan A and there was plan B. There was no plan A and plan B because that would deny God's sovereignty. It was always God's plan for Jesus to die. Romans, Romans, Revelation tells us that he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. So it wasn't that Jesus died before creation, but the plan for Jesus to die was in place before creation. And yet, Peter says to these people, even though they had done God's plan, they had acted according to God's plan, he says that you have taken him and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Because they're also held accountable, even though they're just doing what God had always planned. So God is sovereign, and man is accountable. The problem that we have as human beings, I'm convinced, is that we, we're limited. We, we, we're limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our everything. And the truth is that God is not limited by anything. So I'm moving over to this side. Number one, so hi, Sarah. Say hi to Sarah, okay. Secondly... Secondly, think about time here. This is before the creation of the world. God knew everything that would happen from the creation of the world until the beginning of eternity, to tell the new heavens and the new earth. God knew that here. And we really struggle with that. Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're coming into our, our election season. Do you know what's going to happen in the primaries? We say, well, I know. We don't know. All kinds of things that happen between now and November of 2024. But guess what? God not on, only knows, he's known for more than 6,000 years. What's going to happen? We, we, we all believe in God's foreknowledge. I think where we, what we don't understand is exactly how the foreknowledge of God and the election that he determined and the offer of salvation that he gives to each person we don't understand exactly how those intersect. Here at Elmira Baptist Church, what we focus on, I'm not, saying what, I'm not saying anything about this, what we focus on is man's responsibility. And here's why we focus on man's responsibility. Because we want to preach the gospel to every person, understanding that God has made a genuine offer to everyone that they can be saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So if someone comes to the front on a Sunday and says, boy, I, I'm a sinner, I need salvation. I don't say to them, well, do you know if you're the elect of God or not? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying, I don't say that. I don't know. I don't know. God knows. God's known for 6,000 plus years. What I do know is that here's a person who's come and they want to be saved. Now go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That, 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 uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that brings us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. 
knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now, I know I'm finishing a sentence here, but the point is, is that Paul's now going to talk about knowing that these believers in Thessalonica, they were the elect of God. And here's how he knows it. Verse 5. For, because, for and because, very similar word, because our gospel came not to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. How did Paul know that these were the elect of God? How did Paul know that according to this passage? I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I've read verses 4 through 6. And the answer that I'm looking for is in verse 6. How did Paul know he says, knowing your election of the Lord. How did Paul know they were the elect? Yes, Matt? They became followers. They received the word and became followers of, of Paul, he says, and of God. So here's my point about uh, election and about foreknowledge and about predestination. I don't know who the elect are. I mean, right here in this, standing here at this poll, I can't say, well, this, these people are elect and these people aren't elect. All I know is I'm supposed to offer a salvation to all the creatures of the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I can't decide ahead of time who is the elect and who's not. God knows ahead of time because God knows everything from the foundation of the world. But I, I can't decide. So all I can do is offer that freely to everybody. And when a person responds, sometimes we worry too much about, someone said this to me recently, we're not fruit inspectors. My job isn't to figure out who's saved and who's not by their behavior after that time when they come to me, I'm just going to give them the truth that they're sinners, that Jesus died, rose again for their sins, and that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what we want to emphasize here at Elmira Baptist Church. We don't want this issue of election and foreknowledge and predestination, all of which are Bible words. We don't want this to become a divisive issue here. Um, I, I hesitate to say this, but any questions, because maybe I've misspoken, or maybe I said something and you're thinking, that, that doesn't sound like it could line up with what the Bible teaches. Yes, Peter. Okay. Well, affliction is... Oh, okay, yes. So, what, what they followed the Lord, despite the fact that there was much affliction. You know, it's interesting, Peter, this is not anything about uh, number six here, but I think this is an important point. Does it seem to you that many American churches want people to follow Christ so that their lives become better? Right? You know, if you follow Christ, he'll, I'm, I'm just throwing things out, save your marriage, right? Or you'll become happier. Or um, uh, if, if you follow Christ, um, you're going to have peace. By the way, you will have peace. <laughs> Don't misunderstand that. But you, we, we, we think that if we can give people the right, dangle the right bait in front of people, that we can entice them into following the Lord. Well, Paul says here, despite the affliction, you still followed Christ. And they still had, what's the word, the three-letter word in verse 6, that they had despite their affliction? Joy. So um, I, I think we need to, as Elmira Baptist Church, I think we need to be careful what we dangle in front of people in an effort to try to convince them that they need to follow Christ. Um, we follow Christ because Christ is God, because he's right, 
because he's the only way to eternal life, not for some perceived benefit we might reap. Now, you will benefit. I'm telling you, you will never regret following Christ. But there could be affliction. Some of you have had your families uh, reject you when you became a Christian or at least think that you're sort of kooky. Uh, Some of you may have lost jobs taking a stand for Christ. And I think we're going to see more of that going forward. But despite that affliction, here they were followers of Christ. Does that answer your question, uh, Peter? Right. It it could be a physical sickness, uh, but in the Bible it also referred to persecution, uh, opposition. Yep. Yes, Guillermo. You know, I'm not going to let you two sit together because you and Peter are the only two guys that ever rate. No, I'm teasing. You're good. Yeah. That does not remove the responsibility that we have as believers because John the Baptist told us in Matthew 3, one to repent. Right. Jesus said it in, in Matthew 4, uh, it was 417. So we still have that responsibility. Right. Yes. That's why I use that term, man, is accountable. Right. Yeah. I, I can't say, well, God chose me this way or God ch- did not choose me that way, so I don't have anything I do. Because God definitely talks to us as human beings. And calls us to repentance. And he calls us to belief. Uh, and he calls us to action. Uh, I, I'm not f- talking about our, our salvation. For, for our salvation, he calls us to repentance and to belief. Uh, and our, for our sanctification, he calls us to action. And we have agency. I don't mean, I mean by that, you have a choice to make. And this is really hard for my mind to comprehend because if God is sovereign, I should not have any choices. But here's the amazing thing. God has given me a measure of choice. And yet still, no matter how I choose, he's going to work all his plans out to accomplish his will and to glorify himself. Now, it'd be one thing if we were all puppets. I mean, anybody can use some puppets and get them to do exactly what he wants them to do. We're not puppets. And yet, despite the fact that we have agency, God still accomplishes his will. So here's the religious leaders, the high priests and the chief priests there in Jesus' day. They think they are making the choice to crucify Jesus Christ. The truth is, yeah, let me finish. The truth is, I was pausing just for effect, okay? <laughs> the truth is, that was God's plan all along. They're just fulfilling God's plan. And yet, at the same time that they're fulfilling God's plan, God says what they did was wicked, and they're going to be held accountable one day for their wickedness. Yes, Guillermo. No, the only thing is on, on that point number six. Yeah. Sure. Because God foresaw, I believe in his foreknowledge, but that God foresaw. Foresaw, yeah. Yeah, so that one is, because in a sense, this is just me, it's almost like we are putting God, you know, in a place. So I believe the, the Word of God is, talks about his foreknowledge mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. You you you're not sure that you like that word foresaw. I read the verses that you have, the cross reference, but they said that he shows us before the foundation of the world in Ephesians one four. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing, but it's not a big deal. I mean, it's not. But I just think that that foresaw. I don't know. Right. Yes. Okay. I I don't mind. That's a good comment. I, I'm smiling because I'm wondering where I want to go with this one. I'm going to say good. Thank you, Guillermo. Thank you, okay. Anyone else? 
Let's go on to number seven then. We are a separated church and seek to please our Lord individually and corporately by our separation from worldly fashions, activities, and anything that would not honor Christ. We are especially careful to maintain conservative music in every area of our church program. And we do not fellowship, that's one, and here's the second one, we do not fellowship with other churches or groups that we believe are following away, falling away from the faith and do not adhere to the clear teachings of Scripture. I, I, sh I should have, for, for the sake of understanding, taken out the we believe. Let me re re read that sentence without those two words. We do not fellowship with other churches or groups that are falling away from the faith or do not adhere to the clear teachings of Scripture. Let's start with the uh, idea of a separated church and go with me to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, which is mentioned there, 1 John 2, 15. 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So when we say we're a separated church, we simply mean that we're not going to make decisions either as an individual, me, as a Christian, or as a church, based on what the world is doing. Let me give you a really easy example. Let me start there. I've had friends say to me, hey, you would love watching Game of Thrones. Now, I don't ever, I've never watched Game of Thrones. I just don't. Why? Because I've heard there's a lot of evil and wickedness in it. Now, maybe it's a wonderful acting. Maybe it's a great story. I have no idea. I just don't need to fill my mind with filth. Amen. I don't. So I'm not going to do that. And I'm sure if I, I never had this discussion, but I'm sure if I had this discussion with some Christians, they'd say, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Da -da 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 -da. Listen, the only reason you'd watch that television program is so that you could find out what other people are doing. And I can tell you other people are doing wickedly, just stay away from them. <laughs> right? I don't need to go, uh, another example that to me is really clear, I don't need to go into a bar to find out what people do in bars. I know why they go to bars. You know why they go to bars. And if a friend says, hey, meet me at the bar, I'll say, you know what? Let's meet at a you know, coffee shop, park, restaurant. I mean, there are a lot of other places we can meet that are not bars. Now you say, is it evil for you to go into a bar? I don't need to know that. What I need to know is what good could come out of me going into the bar that could not come out of me inviting my friend to meet me in another spot. Uh, now, well, I won't go there. Okay, so that's what we call separation. The, uh, this idea that I'm not going to make my decisions based on what the world is doing. I want to make my decisions based on glorifying God and what does the Bible say. The applications range from music, which is mentioned here, to our interactions with other churches, um, to our uh, per personal uh, decisions about how we dress and what music we listen to, what we watch, what you read. Uh, people don't take magazines anymore. What you look at on the internet, all of that should be determined by what does the Bible say and what will please the Lord, not what is everyone else doing. I, I'm just going to, yeah, just going to leave it there. Let me mention one other thing about this statement. So that also means that there's times we cannot participate with other churches in events because either, number one, the church has, uh, 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 has taken a stand on a doctrine or a clear teaching of Scripture that is contrary to the Bible, or because they are associating with people who are contrary to the Bible. There was a group in uh, Idaho, and I want to be careful how I phrase this because I want to be accurate, but my, my wife's grandfather was involved in this group 
that if I remember right, was translating the scriptures and he was seated at a table with some people and he asked them what church they were from and he said, and, and his story to me, his, he related to me, the men at his table said, we're with the Mormon church. Well, what is a group of Christians doing cooperating with the Mormons in scripture translation? That doesn't even make sense to me. We don't need to cooperate with the Mormons. They're wrong. They're, they're heretics. I mean, it's really clear. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. So, we just, we're not going to participate in groups like that. And you say, now, there are political groups we participate with that include a lot of people that are not necessarily Christians. That's in the political arena. We're, we're talking about in the church arena, uh, uh, a, um, an effort to, uh, an evangelistic effort we're not going to cooperate with other churches that are not true to the truths of, this, of the Bible in evangelistic efforts. You say, but it's an evangelistic effort. Yeah, but it's going to confuse people to have Mormons and Catholics and Baptists all together in one group. That, is, that, can't, that can't go anywhere good. So those are the issues that are involved in separation. And unfortunately, well, unfortunately is the wrong word. The truth is it's often hard because a lot of these decisions that I make for myself are based on walking in the Spirit. Music is a good example. There's nothing in the Bible that tells me you can't listen to put your favorite artist in there. Or you shouldn't listen to put your genre of music in there. But I can tell you what, when I'm walking in the flesh, there's one type of music I like. When I'm walking in the Spirit, there's a completely different type of music I like. And several of you have relayed the same thing to me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reject all this music that causes me to walk in the flesh and I'm going to embrace this music that causes me to walk in the spirit. That's what separation is. And if somebody says, yeah, but nobody likes that kind of music anymore. So? I'm not doing it because I'm trying to keep up with the world's fashions, the world's way of doing things. Um, any questions about separation? I'm not really looking for comments. If you have comments, I'll take them later. But if you have some questions that help clarify the issue, we, we want to maintain this issue of separation as El Elmira Baptist Church. Matt? So, just for clarification, sure. separation as a church body, how about individual separation? Yeah, thank you for asking that, Matt, because I should clarify that. You see, there may be things that I do in my life that the Lord has led me to do very clearly that I don't demand of everyone in the church. Then there are other things I do demand of everyone in the church. Um, I'm now I'm wondering where I want to go with this. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and again, the Bible tells us, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean things, saith the Lord, and I will receive you. He goes on to say, therefore, laying aside all superfluity of naughtiness, let us, Serve with, no, 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 I'm, I'm confusing these two verses. But here's my point. There are some things that I hold for myself and my family that I don't demand of everyone. And there's other things because it is a church that we just got to protect ourselves from. Yeah. You're making me think. That's a good thing. Well, yeah, you know what, Guillermo, it's easier for me to get together with non-Christians. They're not, they're not claiming to be Christians. Than it is to get together with Christians that I feel are adopting the world's fashions and 
and, and making choices simply based on what the world wants. For, for example, in Mongolia, if I had never gotten together with people who drink, I would never have gotten together with Mongolians because Mongolians drink all the time. I mean, they drink like a fish. My wife will tell you. They're constant. Every time you go to somebody's house, I'm talking about non-Christians here, my neighbor's house, he'd have a bottle of vodka there. And I go out to, to visit somebody who'd come by the church and they had a bottle of vodka there. And it was just everywhere. Um, that never bothered me because they weren't Christians. Now, sometimes they'd come to church. I, I mean, people are just interested, you know, not Christians. But if my Christian brother had vodka at his house, I'd say, what are you doing with this? What, are you, what, what good can a Christian accomplish with vodka? Well, he can make his own vanilla extract. We did have a Christian... <laughs> we did have a Christian friend. He had a bottle of vodka. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I buy the, the whole vanilla beans. This is in Mongolia. We soak the vanilla beans in the vodka for weeks. I don't remember how long. And then it is, that's how you make vanilla extract. I said, okay, as long as you're not drinking it. But... I said, I don't know how you even get it out of the store. I wouldn't even buy a bottle of vodka, right? So, um, so but it's easier for me to spend time with non-Christians who are drinking than Christians who say, well, I'm, I have God's grace to drink. I'm like, no, no. God's grace enables me to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts and to, uh, and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. I'm, I'm paraphrasing uh, Titus chapter 2. Other questions about separation? Yes, Jesse. I think Paul said, I become all things to all men that I may by some mean. I, I yes. Yeah, no, that's okay. But, but just in context, maybe I, I think it's appropriate to say that culturally, your, your example of Mongolia. Mm hmm. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, separation touches so many areas of my life. It touches what I watch. We are, we are really, Americans are really big on our entertainment. And I just want to warn you, Hollywood is not your friend. Now, I'm not saying never watch a single movie. I'm not saying that. But we have to be careful that we're not just p picking our movies based on what's popular, based on what the guy at work says. And the guy at work may say, I'm a Christian. I watch fill in the movie. Don't just say, oh, okay, well, then I guess it must be okay. Uh, if you are going to watch something, have some idea what is in it. Just because it's rated PG doesn't mean it's a good movie. So have some idea of what's in it. Have some idea of what the worldview is. You know, I was watching something with my kids one time. It was a kid's show. It wasn't objectionable as far as uh, uh, violence or, or, or sexuality or, or uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. Didn't, didn't cross any of those lines. But the worldview was clearly teaching my kids to follow their own heart. And I said, we're not watching this. Because the Bible doesn't tell us to follow our heart. Now you say, but it was a really popular movie. Your kids won't know. Listen, my kids don't need to know. Uh, I think we, we, we ought to treat our kids the same way we treat plants. How many of you have started tomatoes from seed? You don't go out and you don't plant the seed out in your garden, do you? What do you do? You plant the seed indoor, either a greenhouse or your own house, in this little, I'm going to call it a cup. You, you may want to use a different room. And... Some of you are so careful, you missed it with just a little spray bottle. Psst, psst, 
until it grows big enough that it can be put outside. And our kids are the same way. We don't just throw our kids to the wolves and say, well, you know, I hope they don't get eaten, right? Throw our kids in the deep end of the pool. I hope they learn how to swim. We want to protect our children. Never be ashamed that you protect your children. If somebody says, well, your children don't know, da 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 No, they don't need to know that. Now, as they get to be adults, they make their own decisions, and my children don't always make the same decision I would make in their shoes. But they're adults now, and that's completely different. So um, when it comes to these areas of, of um, separation, your entertainment, I already mentioned your music, but even the way we dress, and it's not, it's not just for our ladies, men, how I dress. How I dress identifies me, right? So let me, let me give you an example. Maybe you won't get this, and, and then you'll all get upset, and then I'm going to be wishing I hadn't given this example. Let's imagine I dress in all black, just black, head to toe. To me, that's identifying with goth culture. Why would I want to identify with that? Now you say, what's wrong with black? Nothing is wrong with the color black, or is black a color? But it's the identification with a group of people that is not godly. That's the problem. What, what's that, Andrew? You raised your hand. I was yeah. going to say that um, black is actually the absence of all color. Okay. Of all colors. Good. So black isn't technically color. I, I thought there was something I'd heard about that at some point. So identification. What am I identifying with? Right? If I look like a homeless guy, I'm not homeless. I'm not speaking against the homeless. I'm saying if I look as a pastor, I look like a homeless guy. I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of you came and said, Pastor, can you dress better than that? Can you wash your clothes once in a while? You know, can you wash it? Can you comb your hair? Sometimes I tease my wife. I'll come out, you know, with just my hair have, having toweled it off, and it's just everywhere, right? And I'll say to my wife, I'm going to wear my hair like this to church. <laughs> it, would, it would be, no, it's a distraction. You come and say, what's wrong with Pastor? Did he even comb his hair today? You say, does God care if we comb our hair? Oh, uh oh, now I got the uh, little guy, Daniel, uh, all worked up. Does God care if I comb my hair? God cares if I comb my hair. God cares about everything I do. So when it comes to this issue of separation, Matt, I, I, to answer your question, there are some things that I hold very dearly for me and for my family, and I'd be willing to talk with any of you about that. And then there's some things I demand of all of us because it's only right. Um, yeah, that's one reason, uh, th those of you that have taught in our Sunday school, whether it's kids or adults, I've asked you, and if, if, if this is happening and I'm not, I don't know about it, let me know. I've asked you not to reference movies. I, don't, I try not to reference movies in my sermons because I don't want to give you the idea I'm watching a bunch of movies. I don't. There's not much you can watch. There really isn't. So, you know, if, I'm all, if every sermon I'm referencing a different movie, even if I've never seen it, people are going to go out and say, well, I've got to find out what this movie's about. That's not going to help you guys. So that part of my separation is just leaving the culture. Culture's running as far away from God as they can. I'm not going to let them decide how I'm going to dress, what movies I'm going to watch, what music I'm going to listen to. Um, yeah. Okay. Any other questions about separation? Let me get to the last one here. Or not the last one. This is the last one we're going to talk about tonight. Number eight, we are an old-fashioned, conservative church that seeks to honor our great Christian heritage. At the same time, we are not a slave to things old-fashioned in order to maintain a position with other churches and pastors. So we are not opposed to new things that honor Christ and conform to the truths that become sound doctrine. Let me say this. That, that's what was written. Uh, Pastor Harder left that to me. I'm very grateful for that. That's been a help to me. Let me put it this way. When I went to Mongolia, I was a young fella. 
And I thought, you know, I don't know why American churches do this, and I don't know why they do that. And, and then I quickly learned, you know, sometimes we do things because they work. Why do we have a Sunday school hour? Because I really want some Sunday school teachers. Sunday school makes life much harder. You know, if we just got rid of our Sunday school hour altogether, my life would be easier. But we need that Sunday school hour. There's a couple things we're doing with that hour. Number one, we're, we're providing another uh, uh, hour of Bible truths getting into people's heads. But here's another important thing we're doing. We're developing our teaching skills. Sometimes I've asked people to teach and they're not really that good of a teacher. So I help walk them through it and they become a better, he, she becomes a better teacher. That, that Sunday school hour is a great time for us to have age-graded uh, instruction. A four or five-year-old needs a very different lesson than you all need as adults. So there's a good reason to have Sunday school. By the way, is the term Sunday school found in your Bible? No. Nowhere. This is just a human invention that accomplishes God's purpose for Elmira Baptist Church. So if somebody comes to me and says, you know, pastor, a lot of these churches, they don't have a Sunday school program anymore. Why do we have Sunday school? I'd give you some reasons. We don't want to abandon it just because no one else is doing it or because it's become, uh, you know, I, I don't want to come to Sunday school. Well, you don't have to come to Sunday school. I think you all should, by the way. Amen. But... Um, that's a, that's a good tradition that we use. I, I, I'm a big fan of singing hymns that people centuries before us have sung. Because Americans, we've become, we've become very uh, focused on the last five years. Right? How many of you remember before we had cell phones? I wish we could go back to that. Right? If you wanted to reach me, you'd call my answering machine and you'd leave a message. But now you call. I could be driving down the road and my phone rings and people expect me to pick up. I could be having a meeting with someone at their house and my cell phone rings and people expect me to pick up. By the way, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's the way life is now. Not all of this is good. And I think too often we're picking our music based on what's popular and what's current rather than what has expressed the heart of Christians for literally generations. That's why, they, that's why they're in hymn books. Because they not only express the heart of Christians 100 years ago or 150 years ago, but also 50 years ago, even to today. And if we only had music that was written in the last 20 or 30 years, we'd miss that great tradition, the Charles Wesley, the Isaac Watts. These guys are three, 400 years old now, but their songs still express our hearts today. I think it's important for our children to see that and, and for the next generation to see that continuity in our worship. And realize that we're not the first generation who worship God. We're not the first generation who's had problems and God's given us victory. We're not the first generation to recognize God's a redeemer. This has been going on for literally thousands of years now. So we want to keep that idea that we want to hold fast to that which is good. I believe that's 1 Thessalonians 5.22. We want to hold fast to those things that are good, that are a help to us. And not be too quick to abandon what has worked in the past to try something new that's unproven. Like mRNA vaccinations. Okay, now, now I'm just meddling. <laughs> so, seriously, I don't, I don't mind if you got the mRNA vaccination, but that's a good example from me medicine. You know, you can, you can, if you want to be experimented on in medicine, you go right ahead. I mean that. I, I have nothing against that. But I also understand that some people don't want to be the guinea pigs. 
And we have to, we have to understand as Christians, if you want to be a, you know, a cutting edge Christian and be doing everything completely new and meet on Sunday nights at 11 o'clock at night, because that's the best time you do that. But I think I'm going to stay with the things that we've seen work now for a century, century and a half in the United States and very slow to give those things up. Peter, don't, not about vaccinations, please. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> sure. In spiritual songs, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I emphasize, and you know this because I've emphasized this, uh, our worship is congregational worship. It's not the worship team who's worshiping and we're observing. We're all participating. And you say, well, I can't sing. That's fine. Billy said it well the other night. Make a joyful noise. Do your best. And uh, uh, yeah, do your best. So we want uh, our worship to be every Christian participating, not just a few select Christians who have good voices. I'm going to stop there. Now next week, we're going to do something different. Next week, children will meet with us as well as men and women will meet here on, on Wednesday night. Uh, be a little bit shorter, sort of like we did ahead of Thanksgiving evening. Um, and, uh, then we'll, we'll head, we will, uh, yeah, that's what we'll do. We won't take time to break up for prayer next Wednesday night. Uh, but we will do that again in the future. I'm just, just that one evening, a lot of folks are traveling, um, different things going on. So I'm trying to, trying to make it as accessible for everyone as possible.